comfortable. <laughs> um, welcome to the welcome to this session uh, discussion queering theater. Um, uh, firstly, I would like to start with acknowledging um, we are meeting on the lands of the Wajib people of the Nunga Nation, and um, and acknowledging that <laughs> this land was never ceded, um, but also asking for the bless blessings of the ancestors who are around us and with us all the time. Um, and going on from that, it's kind of like, I also would like to acknowledge our queer ancestors um, because of who's sort of kind of like, I guess, uh, the struggles, the, the stories, um, the, the myths, uh, the platforms that they created, uh, the just existing has allowed us to have this conversation today because in some parts of the world this conversation would never be allowed to happen. So also acknowledging the privilege, privileged position that we are in to be able to speak about. Um, I am Jay Emanuel. Uh, I'm also I'm a theatre maker. Uh, I guess I know everybody here, so um, that's good. But uh, I'm also the artistic director of Encounter, which is a theatre company. Um, here we are based on Fremantle Arts Centre. We usually make works around the intersection, so this is something that is very close to heart. And we're actually currently developing a work with Performing Lines, which sort of explores this and what it is what it is like to be querying our theatre or asking the questions. Um, and some of those questions have flowed into the session today and the ones, ones that we'll get to ask collectively because it's such a rare opportunity uh, to be asking questions or wondering together. Mm. Um, I, I would also like to thank Performing Lines WA for creating the space and opportunity <clears throat> for us to come together and also DLGSE for funding it. Um, <laughs> and it's this collective time to come, uh, this collective um, sort of gatherings are very necessary. And I guess that's why also, well, theaters, why it's necessary. We don't, we don't get many opportunities. The ritual of coming together is uh, sort of fading more and more. Um, today's format is, is going to be a peer-led discussion aimed at wondering collectively. It's rare. Uh, today I'll be light touch facilitating. Um, attend to your needs. Come in and out as necessary. Toilets are on the right, just outside the door. Just go straight. Um, today there's no pressure to share, but we invite you to be generous. And the conversation will be recorded. It will be available on performing lines for other people to be able to sort of share in into and listen in into this conversation. Uh, today's format is we, this is the prologue bit where I speak quite a bit. Um, but after that, we'll be able to kind of like introduce ourselves because I feel uh, we all come from a certain perspective and to bring that into the circle and to know while well, we have this discussion where we are coming from as well and that difference is okay. Um, and then we'll have time to, for some individual reflection as well in today's session. So you can write, you can uh, scribble, you can you know sound record in your uh, phone, do whatever you need to do to be able to record your thoughts. Uh, yeah. Um, and then we'll come back together after the individual reflection to be able to share it with the group. And then we'll go into a bigger sort of group discussion as well. I felt also that having conversation around queerness or queering theatre required a little bit of context. Um, where we come from is important to recognise and acknowledge as well. Um, we haven't had the queerness, hasn't had the easiest history as well, um, but it has had a long history and I guess that, that is something we're going to talk about today. Queer, it was once a derogatory slur, but it is now reclaimed by the LGBTQIA plus community. Queerness is also a movement, right? 
Queer artists and queerness has existed in theater, but the stories are yet to come to light in the mainstream. Queerness is not a modern Western construct. It is actually an ancient one. There are mention of it in ancient South, uh, South Asian mythologies that go back thousands of years, for example. Um, there is still externalized and internalized queer censorship, uh, censorship that still exists even within queer communities. There's still a lack of voices from marginalized sections of the LGBTQI plus community, particularly trans, non-binary voices, working class voices, disabled voices, and black, Asian, and Latinx voices. And before we kind of like jump into this discussion, which is really meaty and probably really personal as well to some of us here, uh, I wanted to say, uh, I want to share something by Sarah Rule. Um, she says, most theater is made in the form of a male orgasm. <laughs> that seems accurate in terms of theater usually engorging to catharsis. <laughs> But may we add that the radical queer understands an orgasm may be varied, multiple, and circular. All this to agree, there's more than one way to engage with others. So let's take that as an inspiration of how we're gonna think about queerness. Uh, but I felt that it would be a good one to share. I guess what, uh, what I wanted to do, first thing, will probably sort of do our introductions and then go into individual reflections. But in your uh, introductions, it would be great to hear uh, what your name, firstly, is important, your pronoun, uh, a show, a moment in a show you encountered where you, you, you encountered the essence of queerness, whatever that means to you, and we'll come back to this, what it means to us. Uh, just two lines, so super articulate, if possible. Uh, and uh, <laughs> no pressure. And on a scale of te uh, one to ten, how fabulous are you feeling today? <laughs> one so, being fabulous. One being fabulous. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> Maybe we could decide that as a group. One being fabulous, and ten being <laughs> it's faded. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, great. Who would like to go first? I forgot the question. <laughs> Name, pronouns, how fabulous are you feeling, and also a show where you encountered queerness. Anybody can start. Maybe I'll start. Great. My name's Kiara. Um, my pronouns are she and her. And um, I actually haven't seen much theatre at all. Um, but thinking of it from thinking of this question through my lens, I've seen a lot of dance, and um, recently have learned more through friends about the voguing community of dancers um, and the history of that. Um, and I think I've just I think just uh, even still in dance battles and. Um, even just something that I attended last week, um, there was one Vogue dancer in, in the battle. Um, and I think the standout feeling for me was uh, maybe, maybe it was queerness, maybe it was just that person dancing. They were really being themselves and they um, had a lot of courage um, to represent themselves um, authentically um, within the community and the setting that we were in on that day. It's yeah. mm. amazing. And a one of uh, scale of one to ten. Oh yes, my fabulousness. <laughs> Pretty fabulous. I would say out of two today. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'll speak. Um, my name is Andrew, uh, my pronouns are he and they. Um, I often think of the sense of queerness or the sense of being queer as um, identifying or, fam or being familiar with somewhere, some place that maybe you have been to but 
you can't intellectually remember or that you are yet to go. Um, and so I really felt that recently watching Bottoms <coughs> Walk, um, where <clears throat> the the stagecraft and the, and the way that meaning was communicated was was done in a way that was um, <clears throat> not linear. It was associative, and it was it was through image and experience and feeling. Um, but I felt like it was showing me somewhere that I had forgotten about myself. So I thought it was a very a very mm. beautiful personal experience, even though it was not a show that was made personally to me. It reached me in that way. Uh, and. Fabulosity. <laughs> Love I'm the other way. I'm eight. I'm an eight. So yeah, pretty dry, uh, great, great today. Yeah. Love it. Because yeah. of your book launch last night. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's recording. Get the message out. Where do you buy a book? <laughs> uh, Fremantle Press or any good bookstore. And it's called Paradise Point of Transmission. Thank you, Ella. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Hella Milroy. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, or fish, fishy. Um, going into the non-human world. Uh, latest sort of show I saw, I can't remember what it was called. It was Stace. I don't know if you guys saw a work at the Blue Room. Queer's Flux. Queer's Flux, that's it. Yeah, that was brilliant. I took a couple of random friends with me as well and they were just totally blown away, had never kind of been exposed to that kind of thinking before and it was really educational but super entertaining. Um, so yeah, I was really happy to made it out. Um, scale of fabulousness today, fabulously tired, probably around seven of that. <laughs> That's, I think, it, yeah. It's good. I'm uh, Tim and uh, my pronouns are he and him. Um, I've just uh, just arrived here from the UK and kind of, so most of my theatre going, all of my theatre going actually, has is, is been from over there. And the most uh, memorable was a production of Angels in America at the National Theatre, which um, was uh, mind-blowing and the longest thing in the world as well. Um, but I guess that was just, not, not only was it mind-blowing just because of the piece, but it just made me aware of a of the queer history that was just I'm just too young just I sort of just missed out on and that the fact that I just missed out on it makes it really scary I, I it was so close to if I was born ten years earlier than mm. it, it would have been me kind of thing so mm. resonated was that with, um, was that with Andrew Garfield Andrew Garfield Nathan I I mean it was. You'll have to tell Joe Morris what happens in part two. It's still no. <laughs> I'd love to know. Yeah, yeah. Find out. I need closure. <laughs> and I guess I'm about a uh, six. It's <coughs> great. Um, I can go. Um, I'm Jenna. My pronouns are she, her. I think I'm probably about a fabulous five. <laughs> Four point five five. Um, and I work. Um. <coughs> The way that, you know, to me was like so joyous and incredible and queer was the work Drone from a British company that was um, part of Summer Nights. It's a queer retelling of Joan of Arc by Drag King. Um, and it was, it was like, yeah, joyous and fun and heartbreaking and hilarious. Yeah. I'm Nell. My pronouns are she and her, and I, I, I'm a solid five, I reckon, <laughs> today. And so um, I, I don't know, I, I so often feel like I'm in <clears throat> awesome queer spaces in the theatre, you know, and I work with beautiful queer artists. Maybe the, f the one that's springing to mind today was a, a 2012 festival show, solo show by Iota, called Young, Hard and Solo, which is named after his favourite porn movie. And it was just, it was at the Opera House in that kind of, you know, extreme tradition of the drama theatre. And um, it was just so unapologetically queer and gorgeous and powerful. And it just demanded that we all um, submit to him 
which was a total pleasure, you know. So yeah, that's the one that's springing to mind. I'll go. Um, I'm Janine. Um, I'm my pronouns are she, her. Uh, I'm feeling about an eight today, so pretty average. I actually I've lived regionally for such a long time. I don't my theatre experience is quite limited. I think um, much like Yara, I've seen quite a lot of dance that's been in the realm. Um, living in Sydney for a while, you know, see quite a lot of you know people just expressing however they wish to, which I think is just so freeing and beautiful to see and feel like you're a part of you know, as an audience member as well. Mm. Um, I'm Bobby and I am a four today, which is good. Um, I'm here, I got up. Yes. Um, I think the I'm going to go through probably like a dance and musical lens, but um, two, two things that kind of I remember from many, many years ago. One was I saw um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch in New York and it's one of my favourite movies and seeing it live, um, it was one of these moments I remember my first interaction with like the queerness of that film and the way uh, love and bodies are described and all of that was the first time I felt like really seen um, in that way, or I, they then, by the way. And the other thing I saw when I was really young was the Swan Lake where it was all men. And I thought it was great. And then as I got older, I went, but where, like, where are the AFAB bodies like doing that as well? Um, so, yeah. Mm. Wow. Did you just vote me? <laughs> <laughs> Um, my name's Hannah. Um, I go by she, her pronouns. Um, I'm, I'm a solid nine on the scale today. I've just recovered from COVID and the brain fog is real. So if this sentence doesn't make sense, I'm sorry. Um, I guess I come from a very classical music background. So my queer theatre experience has been very minimal of late because I have no time. So... It feels like a bad example, but Rent is basically my major experience of um, queer theatre, which feels like a weird representation considering it was written by a straight man, as far as I know. Um, but I have a team of people around me at the moment who are, we are an entirely queer team and trying to create our own stories and getting on board that is something that's coming in the future soon and um, we're really excited. So creating our own queer theatre rather than anything else. Oh, hi, I'm Sunili. Um, my pronouns are they, them. Um, I'm 25 and a 6, I think. I'm like excited to be here but also tired to be here. Um, I've got two examples. One. Um, is, was very recently at Summer Nights at Blue Room um, 107 by Michelle Gould, which was um, a, like a high school musical, a queer high school musical rock opera, um, and which was written by, like t I guess about maybe one generation below me. I went to the same private high school that that was based on, and I felt I never thought I would feel seen like that because never thought queerness and like non-white people in drama could exist in that context and it was there I was like the kids were right um, <laughs> and the other one um, was when we were upstairs Jay with our development the last scene I won't give it away for everybody but um, I think in terms of creating our own queer theatre that theme um, that was really moving gosh I love it we're surrounded by it um, and it was, it's just so great to hear where, where it exists, um, such experiences. Um, I guess just to kick us off, um, I had some questions for the group and, um, you can pick any one of them or two or three or four. There are so many options. Um, <laughs> or you can just pick one, uh, and take five minutes just to kind of like, I guess just, uh, dance with the question and then we'll uh, form small groups and we can share and then we'll come into a bigger group. 
So, ooh, what was that? There is. You can just pick it up. Let's have a look. Which one do you like? They all these ones are all same. And I'll read them out to you. Um, so one of the questions is, what does queerness mean to you? Uh, how does your experience of queerness intersect with your theater making processes, which is more about developing? And this one is more about the, out, quite outwardly looking, what queer dramaturgies are evolving in your work and how you present the work, the relationship between form, language, aesthetic, politics, movement, and its relation to the audience. So you can pick a question that you like and um, and spend five minutes just by yourself. Right. Um, if you want to just quickly just uh, take another kind of like two minutes um, with the person sitting next to you to just share a little bit of what you have. Uh, just share as much as you like. You don't have to overshare either. It's totally okay. Um, in this, so just two minutes to whoever is sitting. I think there are pairs here, but there might be a group of ah. Great, three. Um, who would like to just share, uh, go first and just share, just kick, you know, kickstart whatever you were discussing, what came up in the group? Um, what was your question? Anybody would like to go first? Um, I was looking at like how queerness um, intersects with my theatre making process. I suppose I'm directly referring to something I'd made recently. Um, uh, it started from a C point of autobiographical in the sense of my experience. But then I kind of went into this process of um, like three stages. So kind of um, working out how to create and design an atmosphere that best explained without text um, my experience and then on top of that kind of layering um, uh, I suppose like characters that are really obvious in their kind of like shape or form and how they can directly relate to people's like inner child um, so that people could connect to those if they weren't reading into the atmospheric thing um and then uh yeah like nuance without text so i suppose i that at the heart of the show is my ex my queer experience and my experiences but then also yeah kind of building a space where people can connect on different levels who haven't had my experience and also trying to show a uh, non-binary identifying person in uh, say like clothing that for me represents what I think I look like, which I had, um, like I had my, my nipples free, but you know, had other parts of my body covered and I was trying to give a silhouette of what I think an interchangeable um, body is and how that can be, anyone can put themselves into that person or that character or that vessel. Um, so yeah, I had like layering, layerings of how to connect with people on different levels, whether it was visually how I could impact or atmospherically. And I think that's how I work. It's like the core of something will be your experience and then you kind of go, how can I design? For me, I'm very, really interested in like the inner child and connecting adults back to childlike imagery and how we all have that collectively and so that we can connect on that level. Yes. And then we spoke about um, the binary in, in theatre and how that's a really hard thread to undo. Especially when you're working in a physical language, when you are working with the bodies and you are trying to remove that binary. Is it even possible without making it dramaturgically incredibly clunky and in this moment that we are in kind of culturally in transition, do we need to accept a clunky dramaturgy of this is what I want you to think actually in this moment because otherwise we are always possibly 
at this moment, like, going to fall back on the binary. Yeah, like the semiotics of how we read like, the body yeah. from this kind of like European physical theatre tradition. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh. Um, well, we spoke a lot about um, authenticity um, and that there's something really beautiful about, um, yeah, people representing that kind of authentic self on stage, whether it be queerness or, you know, um, the vulnerability that comes with that, that um, is something that is, is really appealing to, to, to behold. And, and um, for me personally, I mean, I'm, I love the, I love the visual spectacle that comes with drag. For me, um, I it kind of it liberates me as a as an artist and as a performer, and it gets me really excited. And it um, it just makes me want to live harder. You know, I don't know. There's something about that visual spectacle, and and also that underneath that visual visual spectacle, the vulnerability inside of that is is kind of a combination that I just love and I think the, the most beautiful foundation for storytelling and, um, uh, and, 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 and art. We did speak uh, about regional... Um, yeah, and just how, um, how it's kind of not as recognised as um, in the metro area. And then we were just talking about um, how do we assist that, like getting artists to go in and, you know, um, having, you know, possibly more queer shows there or creating that environment, especially for our young people to, you mm. know, um, have that, those experiences which they might not normally get in a regional setting. So we did talk a lot about the youth and, um, and their experiences as well yeah. and us as, as maybe um, mentors or teachers and how we then... Um, interact and share the space with them as well um, and just really promote that acceptance. Um, we're going to deep dive into this a little bit more. I mean, like, it's one, it's a question of intersection as well, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, uh, geographical and also queerness and how they, uh, what's their relationship with each other as well and how do we uh, make more opportunities, I guess, mm -hmm. to connect. Um, so it's coming. Please hold on to that. Yeah. We spoke. <laughs> we did, we totally did. <laughs> That's all we've got to say about that. Uh, well, we, I was considering that how does your experience of queerness intersect with your theatre making processes? Mm -hmm. And um, I guess my experience of queerness really is as an ally. And mm -hmm. um, my some of my deep loves and dearest friends and like, lifelong collaborators are queer. And so it feels like it's permeated my whole theatre-making process, really, um, I'm always thinking about what uh, what queer audiences will make of the work that I'm putting in front of them. I get my kind of queer collaborators to look at work, even if it's not queer-centric, to just feedback to me on what, a, what kind of message am I putting out into the world, how is it being read. So I guess... Just, it helps me sort of always know I'm learning, learning, learning and listening and, you know, here, I guess. And I was sort of uh, uh, explaining how in my previous job how frustrated I was. We produced large commercial pantomimes, which are, which are stories which are really... Um, there's a prince and he saves a girl from everything and and they are the first time that kids go to the theatre the pantos and 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 we were just reinforcing this this type and I'm me as a as a gay man thinking I you know if I I never saw any anything different other than this this sort of fairy tale and as we were doing it it was becoming more and more frustrating to me that couldn't really mess with that formula without taking a huge commercial risk on on doing it. 
and which our stakeholders, local venues, wouldn't have wouldn't have um, backed. I don't think it would have been a big fight to do it. And that whole thing about it only takes a few people to walk out and complain or whatever for suddenly it's a bit of thing. So that was one of the um, hard things about ways that I haven't actually been able to to to, to do it. Um, apart from looking at, in the audition process, looking at who we were employing and seeing how we can make safe spaces for them, using kids and and um, in the shows and making sure that boy dancers, for a stereotype, felt as comfortable to audition as girl dancers, all of it and, and stuff. So, uh, which, uh, which was, which there isn't as, yeah, there wasn't a, a People needed encouraging. People needed providing those, giving those safe spaces. But it was really, really difficult to do. So, it's um, it's very interesting. And growing up as a kid, uh, queer kid in India, obviously, it's uh, there a lot of this as well in Bollywood. Most of it's it's binary. So I, I usually only imagine myself in you know I have to be dressed as a female and the, you know or w whatever that meant. But mm. I was working, even imagining my queerness in, inside a binary sort of format yeah. um, and it has taken such a long time still evolving um, will probably always be but uh, that it's how, how do we un uh, uncondition ourselves uncondition is that a word yeah. unlearn unlearn actually you kind of like spoke about the second question we're going to be touching in the general discussion actually so thank you for that anything from this um, the world I spoke a little bit about um some of the critical lenses that I try to apply to the work that I create, particularly in the last few years, this idea from some theorists called Alison Campbell and Tim Dean and other people called viral dramaturgy, which is around the, the movement of a virus and, and it comes from um, uh, work created by people living with HIV and also around uh, work that is, you know, around uh, HIV AIDS uh, and how that mirrors often what we're trying to do with art and with theatre, which is actually to transmit, to infect somebody. Um, and what I did mention, which I probably should have, is there's a real, um, so many of these ideas are really inspired and drawn from, I guess, what is termed the global south in terms of like the po really political activist theatre that came out of um, particularly Thailand, Mexico and the Philippines in terms mm -hmm. of like what sex workers and activists were doing with theatre performance around the HIV AIDS kind of <coughs> space. Yeah, so I'm really, um, that's kind of a lens that I'm trying to look at a lot of theatre and performance through at the moment. Yeah. Um, oh, I guess um, we were sort of talking about in terms of intersections and um, the idea of exploring what it means to be bold and unapologetic and without compromising your queerness when um, on the other hand, and it's kind of two hands there, one, you're sort of concerned in, and in the context of Drag Queen Story Hour, which our friends at Ravel are grappling with at the moment, where there's a lot of pushback from conservative elements, um, as well as from a cultural perspective where there's potentially negative pushback as well as, um, you know, your first instinct is, well, well fuck them, who cares? Um, but also being like, actually, I do respect my conservative parents who have not grappled with the understanding of queerness and how do I meet them in the middle um, without, without sort of compromising um, how I Who are we speaking to at what time in the work? You know, who are we trying to look after? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Great big questions. It's been recorded great. <laughs> um, yeah, we looked at uh, the experience of queerness intersecting with our theatre making, both at pretty different points of view, but I guess both sort of struggling with it, like us putting ourselves into that work. And, that, and we've got different approaches to that. And I think for me, uh, rather than focusing on what I am and putting that out there, it's more so focusing on what I'm not and what I've struggled to try and be in that heteronormative model and how that doesn't fit for me. And so a lot of my writings, uh, whether they're academic or theatrical, look at sort of uh, gender politics between men and women and the sort of psychoanalytic frameworks informing those relationships, the violence that comes up, the expectations we put on each other, or the control, 
the deceit, all of that, and I try to sort of expose that through my writing with many work. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's not sort of explicitly queer, but, <laughs> but it's kind of explicitly hetero-challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an interesting, yeah. 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 And I guess I... My queerness very much felt, feels like um, my own art form in the, I'm on the outside and kind of looking in, not feeling quite like, because I'm kind of adjacent to the theatre space doing classical music and opera, which is very much theatre. And that, that would also, in theatre we're being broad theatre. Yeah. Performance. <laughs> performance. And, performance. and um, how my queen is also in opera, we're never doing queer stories. It's all a baritone fell in love with a soprano and the town's mad about it. That is pretty <laughs> much yeah. general and the gist of it. Maybe, maybe there is some cross-dressing in the literal sense of a character dresses up as a woman to hit on the woman and that's probably as queer as some of the operas go and I'm trying to create space where we can tell actual stories of by the real people real queer people who actually existed in history that would be cool rather than mm -hmm. this forced buffoonery um queerness that you get in a lot of opera um and then that kind of intersects with my queerness and just uh, what spaces are safe to do that in and opera is a very silver-haired audience base and how do you bring those stories to those people who may not be so interested in seeing actual lesbians on stage rather than um, a man and a woman and it looks like a lesbian couple which is basically what you get in <laughs> um, or the opposite way where it's a woman dressed as a page boy it's a very, very common one. Um, so how how do you deal with the potential conflict that you will cause in that space? That's what I'm currently grappling with, I guess. Is anybody else grappling with this also in their work? I resonate with you. Not in my work, but there's a lot of following in There's been a production in the UK about the Jonah Park story, which um, and I love that work too. Um, where the cast portrayed Joan the Back as non-binary and then there's all of this stuff going on with the trans exclusionary feminists who are like, really, really lashing back at that. Um, and I think that's, that's just an example, I think, of, of when you're trying to, you're trying to queer a historical story and a historical art form in a historical space, they're sort of challenges. Yeah. And I think you actually made a really good point. Sorry to point that you both completely forgotten your name. Hella. <laughs> Hella. Yeah. Um, about applying for funding and feeling comfortable ticking certain boxes because will that be used against you or for you? <laughs> and do you have a right to tick those boxes or not? When is it appropriate and when is it not needed? Like, do you have the choice of being private in something? Because it feels like here's a benefit. <clears throat> To expose your sexual identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Mm -hmm. One day we're going to round you up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I relate to that because I got mm. given a question about is my work inherently about my gender or my sexuality? And I said, it, I haven't written that in the programming. It has nothing to do with you per se. Like, it's, it is a story and it can be seen as such. And I think that that's such a, I was almost annoyed by that question in a way, as well as like I was in a work recently where someone said, oh, because seemingly there are all women on stage, does that mean it's inherently feminist? And it's like, I don't know, that's just like coincides with that conversation that rubs me the wrong way. So I suppose yes, yeah, <laughs> related. Advice just relates to that very strongly in yeah. terms of uh, the experience of the intersection of queerness and disability as well, and thinking mm -hmm. about exactly. um, uh, you know like living with a chronic 
illness as a disability, and but then you're taking up space in other in other ways. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really difficult question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like accepting that you can take up space and whether it's okay to take up that space mm -hmm. is a really it's a major major thing I'm grappling with on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure other people feel that way. Yeah, it's scary yeah. sometimes. To me, most of the time. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> High levels of anxiety and going through that, like. Um, Am I taking space from someone else or actually am I occupying the space that is there? If it should be there for me and like whether that's okay or not okay and yeah. Like am I queer enough? Yeah. Kind of thing. <laughs> if I'm hetero presenting, am I, am I still queer? Am I able to be queer still or? <laughs> you know, how, what is the, what's the scope of what's going on in my mind and my internal experience that needs to be externalised. Yeah, sorry, go on. Mm -hmm. Oh, so it's... Sorry. Really... <laughs> <laughs> I love Jamie. <laughs> and I guess it just speaks to kind of like the relationship between cap queerness and capitalism that's that's happening and it's it's it's... It, it needed that voice and kind of like momentum, but now it's kind of like reached a certain critical mass of what happens and what it sort of dissolves the actual reason and the that it existed in the first place. Yeah. And that shifts the meaning of queerness. <clears throat> it's also, we'll, I, I feel like we're living in a world where it's the definition of it has, uh, it's, or its meaning, is it's harder to sort of find. Um, so it can only be perhaps as personal, what what what's your interpretation of it? I guess I feel, but I'm going to jump on this um, a bit to say, in terms of the space that you take up and and when it's your own story, you know something from my politics, but also my capitalism. The you know is about um, you know there are very few representations in art of uh, lived experience of of people or people living HIV that is not um, people dying yeah, you know um, yeah trauma porn and, and so and there's there's zero in mainstream uh, theatre and film because there's only Angel America and Normal Heart and so on um, but again there's that thing of taking up space in publication because there's that but also the truth is that the majority of voices who have the privilege to be openly living with HIV are white and at least cis passing and so on. Uh, and so going into spaces of publication and so on, I, you know, there's that element of representing um, a contemporary experience that is not heard, but also potentially taking away the space of publication from more marginalised peoples, trans people, people of colour. So that's that kind of navigation you're always trying to walk. Yeah. And knowing that it's much more safe for me to enter a space and say I'm HIV positive than it would be for a lot of other people. I, and I think about that a lot in the context, Jerry, of you mentioned capitalism, in terms of economic privilege and the, um, the fact that um, for me, um, within, oh, I, got, I don't know, I don't know how many boxes I tick and I hate having to think about it, but um, my migrant experience is very different because I come from a middle class migrant background. Um, and what um, the opportunities that I was afforded, um, because you know my parents, my parents were able to fly here and didn't have to come here on a boat, you know. And um, I went to a private school where I had access to drama studies programs and music and art and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and my experience of exclusion within very white, middle upper middle class spaces is very different to my to my friends' experiences in other contexts um, and the capacities that we have, um, it's, it's really hard to not feel guilt for having access and having those privileges and how do we transform that to make a difference in other contexts is something I constantly grapple with. Um, same, same thing. Uh, we're just uh, also currently kind of like just making the work around um, being for being Indian, being able to kind of like have the voice and space to be able to tell a queer story here in this context. But if I take the same story in India, it would um, uh, where it's actually needed and the need to be told there. Um, and how do you navigate those two things? Um, and 
as a whole a lot of big questions in there um, any uh, any other small bits to this yeah and that question of like how do we define queerness like, I've had a really interesting relationship with queerness because I don't like labels full stop I never have and I try to avoid that but as I went through my master's program I got interviewed and it was published in queer ecologies and my supervisor was like you are queer <laughs> like and had to kind of smash me over the head of it and be like you need to accept this <laughs> this is who you are when you're fitting in, in the sort of spectrum of things I still don't know if I really have a definition for it which is probably why I'm working in this idea of what I'm not rather than what I am <laughs> it's an interesting provocation what am I not? <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, is that is, can that become a, a way of kind of like finding who you are? Yeah, and it's really you know. hard to have to put it in that in that perspective yeah. paradigm because it's inherently negative and mm -hmm. it inherently accepts a concept that there is there is that there is that acceptable norm, and, and that really sucks to have to do that. I, I see it more as a Buddhist process. Yeah. So like the Buddhism process, it's like when you're trying to find God, they can't actually name God. So you can only say what God is not in order to discover what God is. Yeah. 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 It's like the unknowable and unknown. And I think with queer, it's kind of in a similar kind of category. It's a bit unknowable and unknown. It's an undefined space. So it's, it's like the Buddhist model to knowing <laughs> kind of works there. But, yeah. <laughs> which is a really great segue into the group discussion questions. Um, actually, it's the question, and there be, it's, it's funny because we're already kind of like heading that way, but the question was, uh, what intersections do we collectively exist in? And what are the challenges of making work at the intersections, i.e. race, culture, religion, privilege, etc., etc.? And some of the, well, this list can go on, um, but, uh, we can, that's one question. Um, and the other one was, which was, Tim, something that you're kind of like alluded to and we're kind of like speaking about more about, but it's it's always good to sort of list them because at least we know what what they are. So the other question was for the for this uh, this part of the discussion sort of session. Um, is what structures dramatic societal political affect our ability to be fluid? I can. <laughs> what structures dramatic societal political affect our ability to be fluid? Mm. Um, so you can pick any question. Um, this time maybe we'll have groups of four? Three or four? Yep, great. So you can... Um, shall we come in a bigger circle? Actually, um, <laughs> nice to meet you. I think the two very interesting but intersecting conversations happening. It would be good to put it all in the middle. While we kind of like, as, as everybody's going to be sharing stuff, just think about kind of like one uh, radical transformation thing that you will do. Um, just one. It could be really small. Bye. Thank you for coming. Bye, Gorge. Um, Congrats on the book launch. Woo -woo. Oh, yes. Everyone buy the book. Yes. <laughs> um, great. Um, which group would you like to go first? Any... What are we talking? Are we? Are we sharing uh, the the uh, what what was happening inside the little two circles? The little little group. The little little group circles, um, and sharing what what you chatted about in that. Talking about experience of kind of binary spaces, weren't yeah. we, and processes, and how like individually we can try and break that down a little bit and just work harder, try harder, be less inclined to go, oh, well, I can't, that's too hard. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like good intention versus, you know, like that's just 
understanding that that's just not enough you know there's so so many more layers of um exploration that need to happen to in order to be to provide safe spaces and to open up to multiple demographics and communities maybe yeah i think it's like having those conversations how they can run through for example like working on a production how the team can um you know be allies to the experience of making that safe space from the beginning. There was also talk of like accessibility and having people creating safe spaces so that people have the accessibility to go to workshops, dance classes, events, and knowing that they are welcome in those spaces, I think as well, because I know for me, I definitely had the experience of going through, I was very privileged to be able to go to university. I was the only one in my family and uh, we, I, I did that and, um, you know, that was part of my privilege. I had access to that, but also it wasn't a safe space for me in the sense of the, the way things are kind of spoken about or run. So just looking at how we can make spaces that are accessible for people from the beginning so that when something happens later and you realise, oh, hang on, I haven't actually opened those doors for people, that's okay. It's going back and just starting again and having that from the very get-go of the conversation of the team or, yeah, whoever you're working with. And that it is not an afterthought or a side thought. It is with... Okay. It's with from the start. It's in the soil. Yeah. Already. It's interesting though because we were, yeah we we kind of began with a, with with this story and uh, and um, I guess talking about how can we you know creating that culture it 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 can't just happen overnight and 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 implementing things like I don't know even the example of like I don't know until was it. Three years ago, we hadn't had a female artistic director. Uh, I mean, it, you know, MTC, was it MTC who had never had a yeah. female artistic director in, uh, you know, 55 years or whatever. And so, but like prior to that, maybe 10 years ago, they'd started a scholarship um, or, you know, um, a, a platform for female directors to be mm. able to you know, enter the space and feel comfortable. And, and so 10 years on, suddenly we do have, so so the problem was there weren't any female, you know, people, directors apparently who could jump into the job. But now we've got, you know, yeah, 10 years. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> another small group. Discussion. I just remember reading this article going, oh, God, this is why, this is, this is why, this is why yeah. people were saying that there hadn't been anybody in that job. But, you know, like, it, and so, yeah, what, what are the things that can be implemented at, at the same time understanding that it's not going to happen overnight? It's fine to complain about the, is it fine? It's, it's one thing to complain about the now, well, we haven't got that particular person in that particular role or that particular person there, but the problem isn't that you can try and find that person, but if they don't exist because they haven't been encouraged or taught or, or whatever, then, then, then it's a kind of, you know, it, it's an impossible circle to square. What we sort of saying about the structures is that like we are in this clunky moment because at the moment there is you know it's really important to have all of these voices in works but because we're in this clunky transition moment that sometimes it feels tokenistic but that we actually have to sit in that discomfort of that so we can move out and it becomes norm and those voices are heard and i think it's really important to recognize that while we are who we are and we know as best as we can at this current point of time who we are. Um, everyone else has kind of got a couple of hundred years worth of baggage of not kind of being on that journey. They haven't been, they haven't, whatever, had their coming out story. They haven't done, they haven't been through what we did. In, in a way, it's unfair, don't shoot me. It's unfair to expect everyone to be on our bus or or, or at least on the, at the same bus stop. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 um, it's a journey and you kind of have to be a aware of that in lots of ways it's one train with many uh, train stops yeah mm. a clunky train yeah. a clunky <laughs> train with a lot of okay like this metaphor i love this metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> i love it 
one thing I was reflecting on though in that, in that sort of like it is icky um, and one of the things we were talking about was like one of the structures that affects our ability to be fluid is like forcing being forced to have to put a label on on it and being forced to tick a box um, and this is where we were like oh well like, at least these like, I hate these at least discussions but um, so working I, I remember doing some stuff with Screen West that's seven or eight years ago and and we were like oh well there aren't any um, actors of colour possibly actors of colour to um, to cast that so we didn't get through the next stage of development because it was like a structural problem um, but at least now you know five to five years later they've, they're like okay we need to have a diversity policy and we need to start thinking about bringing these people in and so um, yeah maybe you do tick a box to be like oh, yes I'm culturally and linguistically diverse and I'm queer and whatever it is in order to create those opportunities with the hope that one day no one will care. Mm. Yeah. And it does feel like like when we were just working on a project and there was someone in the room who practices from Europe and you know some of the things that were said from that, that company I found quite challenging because it felt like well you can't do that or you can't get a group of people to do that that's not their story and a lot of that sort of thing came up but then you go actually fuck like Europe they're just at a different level like we're babies like we're at the beginning of this and their practice and culture has been so has been fluid and had a multiplicity there for well I'm not always actually but like there's a lot more of that there than mm -hmm. there is here yeah in terms of multiculturalism yes yes, yes. 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 there's a lot more in terms of multiculturalism and you have to the people that you as people we associate with it's a sort of echo chamber so you can kind of feel like oh we're all we're, look at isn't everyone cool but then you kind of open the door and there's a whole <laughs> yeah. bunch of yeah. oh they're not saying the same stuff as us yeah so um yeah being aware yeah. of what you're what you think is normal or what you accept as is yeah. accepting. Oh, I'm yeah. not, I've lost my words at the end, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. We get it. It's so hard because, you know, those those feelings that you're talking about of, 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 of discomfort at having to tick a box, you know, um, <clears throat> of course, of course, and, 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 and why should anyone have to fit into that um, that binary but it's also like capitalism capitalizes on that discomfort don't they so it's it's really a tricky capitalize yeah they do because really like yeah I don't know it's it's just so the the, the approach is, is is so vastly different it doesn't exist on the same plane so that intersection we speak of like there's no intersection because it's like this you know and so how do we create that intersection yeah i don't know <laughs> Just sort of so i do a lot of work in the women in music space and it's we were talking about it earlier <clears throat> there's this like you have this focus on women when your team are mostly non-binary <laughs> queer people, but you've still got to focus on women because the actual industry and sector is so focused on men that you have to go hmm. to the binary and play into the binary. Hmm. You really want to be over yeah. in binary. being a binary, yeah. but at the same time, you need to bring the people who only think men did music composition, you have to bring them over here yeah. And at some point, hopefully, we've got some non-binary people composers. Um, project I'm working on that I can't talk about. But um, <laughs> you know, it's there are ABC Classic have done quotas for women composers, um, and slowly over the last so six years have increased it and increased it. So the normal listeners haven't noticed that change. But hey, we've suddenly got a little bit more diversity from almost all male so we've now got women and you can apply that in most sectors in a different way and it applies differently to theatre than it does to music and it kind of applies to their queer space as well as the like the sorry the sexuality space as well as the gender space if we want to separate them I don't know um 
And it's finding ways in your own practice that you can be inclusive whilst addressing like these overarching issues all at the same time. Because you're gonna you wanna hit them head on, but at the same time you end up leaving other people behind and you wanna bring everyone with you, but how do you balance all of that? Um, something we're grappling with is we do a lot of 19th century music and it's all by relatively privileged white women from Europe. And that, how do you then reconcile the fact they weren't privileged in the same way then as mm. we are now because they were properties of their husbands. So it's like this, mm. there is, there's, there's that diversity, but there's also the not diversity all at the same time. And it's like, which box are we ticking today of what we're trying to beat? It becomes a box ticking exercise of trying to be as inclusive as possible, but also as trying to be as inclusive as possible. You, you, you always end up leaving someone behind or someone's in the shadows um, and figuring out how you work that into your practice. A lot. So idea that came up, um, I think, with Hamilton, this idea of colourblind theatre. Mm. I wonder if that same idea has a place in queer theatre, where it's like queer blind or LGBTQ blind. Gender blind. Gender blind. Yeah, gender blind. It doesn't matter, mm. you know, and you can play whatever role. You could have a gay guy playing a straight husband or vice versa. The problem comes with that because that, that does happen and that there are lots of uh, cases of um, women playing Hamlet or whatever. There, are, there, are, It is going on. Mm. And the problem happens is that, a you know, forever straight guys have played gay guys really and, and, and all of that but actually um, it's it's okay for what am I trying to say it's okay for a um, a gay guy to play a gay guy but we're going to go into a world where it's not okay for a straight guy to play a gay guy yeah. and, that, and and so the blindness rightly so you have to go all the way one way to kind of get somewhere into the middle yeah. and, and we need to do that so that's why there's a problem when you can't have a a, uh, a cis a, a, a cis actor playing a, a transsexual character. There's a problem you can't have a gay character. You can't have a, a person with a perfect hearing playing a deaf character. You know, there's all of these things, and I totally get it. They need to be represented. But, but you know, it'd be perfect if there was the Hamilton colorblind casting, and that, that went to everything. The best people got the job. But unfortunately, the best minority groups or the best uh, queer. Uh, haven't got the experience or the funding or the, the history that's kind of getting them eligible for the jobs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I think there's also a really interesting question that I think about um, in terms of if you're trying to sort of um, transcend the, the binary or queerness or whatever, you know, or race or culture or whatever it is, um, like there's a question in terms of like if everything is colorblind, and, and you know, when people are like, oh, I don't see race, which means that you don't see the oppression. That is. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so if you are going the other way, are you actually pretending that the problems don't exist by, yeah. um, by, trying to, mm -hmm. by trying to pretend that there is no problem? Mm. And, and yeah, you have to go through the clunky process, I think, in terms of before we get, yeah. and we were sort of talking about, again, ticking the boxes and, um, you know, like at some point, if this clunky process gets to the outcome that we wanted, no one will care about what background you are because everybody does have equal opportunities and you don't need to be part of a special program for queer theatre or you don't need to be part of a special program for X and Y um, because those barriers to equal and equality of opportunity have been broken down by that. But that's that's no longer political. Yeah, and that's and then everyone is able to just be who they are without having to explain themselves and mm. and, and be told that they're queer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that yes. At least we. Uh, it's it's really interesting in this conversation around queerness. We're always touching on touching on the utopic, mm -hmm. and of what this world would look like, and uh, and this is great fodder. 
and I, I guess now it's time for us. We'll, we'll have to wrap it up. But uh, that is some sort of fuel. These questions, and there's a lot of questions. I mean, like even with live, you know, a bit of lived experience, it it's you still can't like evolving and asking these questions to yourself. And uh, and and it's great to be able to share that with each other as well. It has a real real human value. <laughs> Um, which I feel is all inherently anti-capitalistic, take bitches. Um, so it's uh, how do we continue to have these conversations? And there was one question that I had, but I think you can take it with you with yourself is, uh, what is this one radical act of queerness that I will uh, bring about in my life? Eat a cupcake. Um, <laughs> be fabulous and um, have a great day. And um, thank you so much for your lovely generosity today. It's just been amazing to sit in this really gentle space. Um, hope we weren't one or ten. We were just right in the middle. It's really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.